Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hello, listeners. This is Tech on Reg, once again, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. Before we get into today's episode, I would, of course, like to thank our sponsor today, InvestNet Yodley. If you're curious about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the financial security of many Americans, InvestNet Yodley has unveiled its COVID-19 income and spending trends for American households during this unprecedented crisis. Visit bit.ly Yodley COVID-19 trends to learn more. Thank you to InvestNet for all of your support for the Tech on Reg podcast. We couldn't do it without you. Okay, today's topic, is voice dead? We have heard so much chatter about the digitization of processes, new apps, enhanced mobile banking technology, and so on, that some claim that it is. I like to push back on those people. Ever since Apple's Siri sort of dazzled us all with its debut on the iPhone 4S, there has been an absolute unprecedented surge in smart voice technology, and there's no question at all that people have embraced it. And secrets out, turns out that uh, most of us, we kind of like talking to robots. In fact, tens of millions have invested in smart speaker sales, and about one in five people are familiar with the sayings, hey, Alexa, what's the weather today? In Chicago, it's 85 degrees Fahrenheit with mostly sunny skies. Today, you can expect clouds with a chance of showers, with a high of 87 degrees and a low of 75 degrees. And sometimes we like to ask Google for help. Hey, Google, help me find a recipe for key lime pie. Yet the debate still continues, with many still advocating that people don't want to place a call for anything. They only want to interact through written digital means. Here today to discuss that is James Freeze, Chief Marketing Officer at Interactions. Welcome to the show, Jim. Can I call you Jim? You can, I, I've been called much worse. Yes, Jim is fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the show. And why don't we uh, talk a little bit about who Interactions is, what you guys do, and where you sit in the market? Sure, sir. So uh, Interactions is uh, the market leader in providing what's called intelligent virtual assistants. Intelligent virtual assistants are essentially, it's a combination of various technologies that provide the front door primarily to customer service operations for companies. It displaces legacy technology, legacy technology being something like an IVR or a speech-enabled IVR. And everybody's familiar with this. When you think about the companies that you do business with as an individual, if you go for a call up to get customer support, it's very common to hear, you can press one for this, you can press two for that, or you're- Yeah, and then we're the- all left pressing zero, desperate to talk to a human. Exactly, because it's a miserable customer experience. People don't want to be, people don't want to have to adapt to technology. They want technology to adapt to them. And that's really what makes us different. We have 
a combination of very sophisticated set of AI, artificial intelligence technologies that work in conjunction with humans in real time to provide an experience that is truly conversational. So it's very typical when you call into a customer who's using our technology and our solution to not hear you may press one for this or two for that. Instead, what you hear is, how may I help you? And that's specifically because we design our IVAs or our intelligent virtual assistants to allow consumers to speak in their own words to be able to accomplish the tasks they want without having to go through a human. And in, in the same way that, that you just asked Siri what the weather was, you didn't, have to, you didn't have to talk to a human. You interacted with Siri and Siri understood you. And, and came back and, and gave you an answer. Well, and technically, so technically, I interacted with the Amazon product that starts with an A, but I'm not going to repeat it now because otherwise <laughs> she's going to answer me and continue to interrupt our recording, and we don't want that's that. That's a good point. That's a, that's a very good point. So so we're the leader in, in providing that. We, we serve mid to large size uh, enterprise. We're um, pretty successful. We're well north of $100 million in revenue. We Congratulations. Grow, thank you. We've grown 35% a year for the past five years, have very strong customer retention, almost 100%, a, a really robust uh, patent portfolio. And we're doing really well and we're disrupting customer service operations. Although you know, we're also applying the technology and use cases that are really quite interesting as well beyond just traditional customer service. So I've heard some of the you know sample calls and demonstrations from those more uh, traditional customer service interactions, and I guess we're you know thinking about the traditional like hotlines or customer support you know that you know any large company might have for its consumers. Very interested to know what sort of the other use cases are because at least from my perspective, I can see it being very highly applicable to you know sort of. Uh, processes that are generally highly regulated. So can, can you talk a little bit about some, in, some, some fun stuff you got going on? Sure. I'll talk to you about something that isn't necessarily highly regulated and something that is highly regulated. So, you know, once again, customer service, very common um, use case for us. But beyond that, we're also in an area called food services. And uh, way to think of this is we have a, a number of customers who use our technology to provide a channel by which people can order food uh, at a restaurant. Now, you might think that's not a big challenge, but the restaurants we typically target are national chains that have 500, 600, 2,000 stores around uh, the country. And People typically, sometimes on the way home from work or, or maybe they're out shopping, they want to grab something to eat and they want to call the local store. And so there's a, we call them quick service restaurants. There's a quick service restaurant that we work with that we've rolled out now to all 20, I think it's 2,300 or 2,400 of their stores. If somebody's on the way home from work, they call a 1-800 number. The person essentially interacts with an intelligent virtual assistant, can go through an incredibly sophisticated ordering system that's truly conversational. Uh, our intelligent virtual assistant not only captures all of that and payment, but also tries to do upsell. And it's a, it's a true human, human-like experience. You would, you would think you were talking to a human. And then distributes that order to the appropriate store and estimates the time at when it should be picked up. And the reason that that's a, that's a huge problem for quick service restaurants is, is one of the problems this, this particular chain had was 
everybody in the store is busy. They, they don't have time to pick up the phone when somebody calls to the local store and take an order. So this has actually saved them tremendous amounts of time, efficiency. And um, they gave us a, st- a statistic about three or four months ago that over the course of, it was even before it was uh, completely rolled out, but over the course of the first, I think it was like two months, they were able to capture $14 million in, in uh, additional revenue they otherwise would have lost. So That's, a, that's yeah, a good number. That's a very good number. And that wasn't even fully rolled out. And the other thing is the amount of calls they received uh, when the pandemic hit increased dramatically. And and one of the benefits of an intelligent virtual assistant is it scales with the business. You don't need to add more call center agents, for example. You don't, you don't, you don't. And um, so it's, you know, it's a great example. Now, let me give you an example of one that uh, intelligent virtual assistants in a space that is highly regulated, and that's the area of collections. I am we, familiar. Our listeners yeah, are our listeners are familiar. They've heard me talk about debt collection once or twice before. Yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, um, debt collections is uh, it's the fastest growing segment for us. We are applying um, our intelligent virtual assistant and our technology in a way that delivers significant benefits to to the consumers who are receiving calls or responding, coming inbound uh, to in, in response to uh, calls regarding collections and tremendous benefits to the debt collections companies who are, who are making these calls. Uh, well, you know, delivering- just a quick, just a quick observation and, and we'll get into sort of the economics and, and the scale and, you know, all of those other very sort of obvious business benefits to it. But a debt collection call is quite different from placing an order for, for quick service from a local eatery, right? Sure These calls are quite more complicated than would you like fries with that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're, they're very, they're very complex and they can be, you know, as simple as determining if it's the right party to actually negotiating a payment plan, you know, and it's truly conversational and dynamic in nature. There's nothing static about it. And it's also, and this is one of the things that your audience is probably familiar with this, but one of the things that was, has been really reinforced by the customers that, that we're, we're rolling out with or have already rolled out with is one of the things that they think is very important and are really focused on is providing a good customer experience. In other words, providing a, a positive experience relative to that that debt collections call is something they're really focused on. It matters to them. And I think in part it matters because, you know, the mainstream press, I think often there are negative stories associated with debt collections. Well, and I it think matters. they're really concerned. Yeah. Yeah. It matters because it ripples through the entire ecosystem. Right. So, it, and sure it does. really, it really started several years ago when the OCC issued its guidance to, you know, the financial institutions that it supervises making sure that it's looking into and considering reputational risk in sort of their debt sales process. And there was so much debate. Well, what do you mean by reputational risk? And the banks have, you know, come out pretty universally in in terms of those that either place for third-party collections or end up selling their debt. That reputational risk means that these are our customers, they've had a certain type of experience with the bank, and we want to make sure that 
the life cycle of the rest of their experience associated with this account is as consistent as possible. Now, we can certainly debate whether or not consumers are actually having wonderful and positive experiences with their bank, but the point is, is they want to make sure that they're having good, positive, and productive experiences in the collections life cycle because that's a naturally uncomfortable position for any consumer to be in, regardless of the reason of why they're in that position. Yep. Yep. And there's no doubt about it. I agree 1000% with what what you just said. And, you know, it's interesting uh, what our experience has been with our customers and specifically their agents, as well as the the experience that that consumers receive uh, relative to the application of this technology on, on the consumer side. We've actually done some primary market research through Harris and, um, you know, the same ones who do presidential polls. And, you know, we have research that indicates that if an intelligent virtual assistant is quick and effective, in other words, don't wait, make me wait, help me accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish in an effective and conversational way. If in fact that's true, there are many consumers who would actually prefer to deal with an intelligent virtual assistant as opposed to a human in financially embarrassing situations. So that was a little bit of a surprise to us. But when we think about it and we, and we kind of listen to some of the calls and how they operate, it doesn't surprise us. Uh, so big benefits to consumers. And then uh, there, there's a story I have to share with, we talked to um, one of our launch customers and who we've, who we've rolled out with, and we actually had a conversation with uh, one of their agents. And the agents initially, when this technology was being introduced, were concerned that it was about displacing them or, you know, basically taking their jobs well, away. You, Jim, you're, you're stealing my questions, but I'll let you oh. continue. <laughs> well, it's a good question because I think it's not just in collections, it's in a lot of spaces. There's a belief that, that you know, this is kind of Skynet from Terminator and it's, it's going to take over the world. And, and well, truth, truth be told, call center jobs and those service oriented jobs, you know, they, they employ hundreds of thousands of people, um, around the world and they're sort of, um, they're generally good jobs. They come with, uh, livable wages, benefits. And, you know, I think that there's obviously a concern about eliminating sort of, um, that, you know, class of job, which can easily, uh, be obtained without a college degree. So these were, you know, good roles for a lot of, uh, you know, people around the world, certainly Americans and, it's very much the same discussion, um, you know, that I remember having with some executives when we were talking about, you know, the Amazon check out yourself stores where you're not dealing, um, you know, with checkout clerks at the store and RFID and how things were just going to be automatically debited from your accounts. It's like, well, where did those jobs go? So Jim, tell, tell us about why we don't have to be concerned about that here. Yeah, and, and for, for a couple of reasons. One is, I mean, the, the, the larger answer is this is the story of technology for the past 50 years, right? I mean, technology, you know, technology, especially disruptive technology, sometimes disrupts, but the reality is that it makes us more productive and productivity always leads to growth and opportunity. And specifically in, in the context of the example that I was just referencing, the, the, the agents at uh, this particular uh, company were very concerned that this was about displacing their jobs. And the company said, no, no, it's not about that. It's about other benefits. It's about making us more efficient. It's, it's about in, increasing debt collection. 
we talked to one of the agents recently, actually about uh, it was about a week ago, about what their experience has been with the intelligent virtual assistant. And he uh, he said two things. One, he said that the agents in general are upset when it's turned if it's been turned off because uh, it means that they're having to deal with a bunch of calls that they'd prefer not to deal with. The second and the more compelling thing thing we heard from the agent was that the reason he liked the intelligent virtual assistant so much was he said prior to the introduction of this technology, he spent most of his time getting either hung up on or dealing with wrong parties or, you know, just getting yelled at and sworn at. And uh, he said that was the great majority of his time. And he said, now what happens is that about 50% of his time is spent having conversations and trying to help negotiate something with people who are having a challenge with their their debt. He said that his job satisfaction has gone through the roof as a result of this technology uh, helping. And, you know, it's, it, we fundamentally believe that humans need AI and AI needs need, need humans. So they, they work very well together. So one other thing that I like to think about when, especially when we're talking about the deployment of technology this type of technology in particular in any highly regulated industry, financial services broadly, not just debt collection, the way that financial institution employees have to interact with consumers, you know, for those uh, listening that may not appreciate the level of specificity and regulation that goes in to those conversations, there is an entire alphabet soup of rules and regulations um, and things that callers and those fielding those calls can and should not say. And everything matters from the words that they use to the tone of a voice and making sure that certain things are disclosed in the correct way. And humans are fallible. We make mistakes all the time and not because we intend to make them, but just because when there's a lot of confusing rules and scripts and conversations take different avenues... People just make mistakes and it becomes a huge liability for any financial institution. And that includes those service providers to those financial institutions. So when I was first uh, introduced to this product, the real benefit I saw was being able to so very carefully craft and build these calls and program the technology so as to really mitigate that kind of risk. That's good for the business and it's better, even better for the consumer because again, it goes, Jim, it goes back to exactly what you were saying is you're trying to maximize and make the consumer experience as good as we can possibly make it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you just hit on one of the key benefits, which is that, you know, the intelligent virtual assistant, you know, is always compliant. It, it's programmed to, to to know what specifically you need to say in certain circumstances. And, you know, if there's a Miranda warning, if, 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 so to speak, that needs to be read, it's always read correctly. And it's, you know, it's a human voice and uh, you can, you can program these things with a persona and a, and a, that's consistent with the brand of the company. So it's really powerful in terms of it, how it delivers those kinds of benefits, which are hugely beneficial to the the company making the call. But it's, it also, once again, does translate in to a natural and conversational experience for the consumer, which is better than the robotic press one for this, press two for that, which everybody hates. 
I mean, things I think about as a compliance attorney is that it is highly unlikely that, you know, a voice-powered AI can be baited into a technical violation. Um, You don't have to worry about your intelligent virtual agent waking up cranky that morning or waking up hungover or, uh, you know, getting sick or, you know, dealing with any one of a myriad of a million things that could impact the way they're able to handle a call. So from my perspective, being able to mitigate those types of things is a compliance dream, really. And, you know, and I think that, so what does it take for a company to experience something like this? Do you have to kind of go all in or can you dip your toe? How do you figure out whether or not something like this is right for your organization? Uh, you know, I, I, I think what you need to do is you need to, to kind of uh, understand what it really comes down to um, what you're trying to accomplish with it. You know, we work with customers regarding what it is that matters to them. And, you know, if there are customers who say, oh, the only thing we care about is we just want to cut costs. We were, you know, customer experience would be great if we can improve it. But if we just want to cut, we just want to cut costs. Those customers we typically don't spend a lot of time with. And the reason for that is if your primary objective is just to cut costs and you don't really care about the customer experience, there's plenty of kind of legacy technologies that will help you do that. So, you know, we try to work with customers regarding those that that care about the experience they're delivering, that also want a business case and also want to be able to 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 drive costs out of the business. Uh, but you know, we, we focus on on those customers who want that. Second, and this is really important, we try to design a, a intelligent virtual assistant to mimic your best agent. And in order to do that, you need to be able to have uh, access. We need to be able to have access to all the backend systems, whether it's a CRM system, whether it's a billing system, a knowledge base. And it probably won't surprise you that the state of kind of web services integrations or just APIs on the back end of, of systems of, of companies are not as clean as you might think. And so that tends what? to be... You're kidding. I, it's a shock, I know. And that tends to be the longest pull in the tent when we're rolling out a new customer. And so, and, and we've actually gotten down the path with some customers and just had to pull out because it was just impossible to get access to their information. Interesting. And yeah, so because the systems are so old or the data is spread across seven systems, six of which are proprietary ones that were never designed to be interfaced with. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a process we go through called a discovery. And that discovery is mapping out what they do today and then talking about the, uh, the future state. What do you want it to be? What do you want to, what do you want to um, accomplish? And we like to say we design for outcomes. What are the outcomes you want? And, you know, if it's in collections, it's, well, we want to do X, Y, and Z. We want to increase debt collections. I mean, you know, whatever it is, we design specifically for those outcomes and in a way that is truly conversational and natural. Right. Because the outcome for one, you know, organization, right? The outcome for your food service uh, and quick service client is a different sort of outcome than your general customer service client, which is a different outcome than, you know, uh, an FI looking to, you know, have a virtual agent either deal with common questions or get information about an account, or in the cases that we're talking about now, perhaps, you know, negotiate the settlement of a debt. So one thing I wanted to sort of raise is that I, I know we started talking this episode about the is voice dead, is voice not. And I, I think we can 
say with, you know, a fair degree of confidence that it's certainly not dead, but it's also not voice only, right? So no, it's not. It, 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 it's text channels as well as, as voice. And so it, it's interesting. We, we like to, we like to say voice is the new digital. Uh, we think voice, we, we have a very strong point of view about this. We don't actually don't think voice is shrinking in importance. We, we, we think voice is growing in importance um, for a couple of reasons. One is and you highlighted it at the beginning. I mean, the uh, there's a renaissance around voice because of the introduction of you know Siri and and uh, other other names I won't say because yours is turned on right now. I, um, I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, when you get into your car and you want to put an address someplace you're going, you don't sit there and type it. You press a button and you tell it where you want to go. I mean, voice is an incredibly efficient modality as well as a channel and we can all talk three to four times as fast as we can type so you know we don't believe for a second that voice is shrinking in importance and we also uh, we have a very strong point of view about about digital transformation you know all of our customers have digital transformations um, that that they're they're under digital transformation taking advantage of technology to help automate and make companies more efficient is critically important and customer experience is probably the number one use case for digital transformation and, and we advise our clients start with the channel that is the most impactful from a customer experience perspective the most important in terms of the customer experience perspective and the one you invest the most in where the opportunity for optimization is the highest. And that is absolutely positively with voice. And then, you know, our platform is truly omni-channel. We support all text channels. We support voice channels. So start with the most impactful one and then start to layer on text channels. I think at the end of the day where truly, you know, customer service and I know financial services is, uh, is headed is it's really all about consumer choice yes. and allowing for allowing your business to account for a consumer, your customer to be able to interact with you in whatever way they like. And whether that is interacting with a, a virtual call agent or whether that's texting with you or whether that's through a chat bot or yeah. what have you, that's the whole idea is about let your consumers meet you where they are instead of you trying to tell them how they should be interacting with you. And then that is designed to lead for better outcomes all around. And from a compliance perspective, that should also mean less complaints, less yes. people upset, less regulatory complaints, less lawsuits, and paying lawyers like me less money <laughs> at the end of the day. Oh, I'm not really sure you're going to want to broadcast this. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I, I gain a lot of criticism from my clients. They're like, you talk about implementing all of this technology, but don't you make all of your money defending these lawsuits? And I was like, sure, but I don't, I gain zero satisfaction having to defend my clients in lawsuits. I like doing it. I've done it for years, but at the end of the day, I would much rather them not get sued. That yes. is better for them. And I... I geek out and I really enjoy sort of the, the compliance work and the digitization. So I will, I will broadcast it. Provoke.fm, fun fact, reaches 170 different countries. So I have just broadcasted it to 170 countries around the world <laughs> um, saying, you know, uh, and 
you know, we'll, we can, you can check in with me in a few months to see how that goes for me. I will. I will. That's all right. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. We've talked about compliance a little bit, but there is, you know, compliance is only as good as the rules and regulations are uh, when they come to us. And particularly in highly regulated industries like financial services and debt collection, the rules and regulations are ever changing. And for those in the industry know that there was a debt collection rulemaking process that was started back in 2013 when the CFPB gained supervisory authority over the debt collection industry. It's 2020 and we still don't have a final rule. Although uh, the CFPB has published on its agenda that hopefully that final rule will be coming in the fall. And I think there's going to be a really hard push for that to be implemented uh, before the election. Now, there's lots of reasons why rulemaking takes a very, very long time. Part of that is the politician's fault, and part of that is, you know, the rulemaking process generally and the amount of time and research uh, that goes into it. All of that being said, we're very, very close to a set of rules that are going to be particularly impactful for uh, the debt collection industry that Jim and I have been talking about, as well as calls generally. So, the proposed rule that cross our fingers is actually going to be going into effect in the fall is actually going to be placing call limitations on the number of calls debt collectors are permitted to make to consumers. Isn't that right, Jim? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Among the sort of call restrictions, there's been a nod to sort of other modalities and and forms of technology that historically the rules and regs have been very silent on. So industry has really sort of been left, you know, taking an ad hoc approach to implementation of, you know, text messages and how they are, how they impact the TCPA and whether or not we can use email and so on and so forth. But Jim, sort of what are your thoughts on the impact of the call, a potential call restriction on a product such as yours? Yeah, so we, we have some uh, pretty strong points of view uh, around this as well. And, you know, it's, it's interesting you highlight the, the fact that, you know, as, as technology has advanced over the last 30 or 40 years, it's always amazing how far behind the, the regulatory environment or, or the, the, the law in general is from technology. I mean, just as an example, I remember when fax machines were being used or tempted to be used to, to like execute contracts and no, 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 you can't do that. And, and it just, it's amazing how long it took for, for the law to catch up with uh, um, kind of where technology was headed. And I feel like we're in that kind of same situation. I mean, when you think about, some of the restrictions in the TCPA, they were, they were based on a notion of what the tech, or not a notion, but an understanding of what the technology was capable of and the problems that were being addressed at the time that that was developed. And the technology is so far beyond that. I mean, I think things like pre-recorded message restrictions and what that means and how the technology is that we provide today is so different than what was envisioned. So the importance of getting clarity around this is very, very important. And for us, you know, we think that clarity helps our business grow significantly because I think, as you know, based on some of the clients you represent, sometimes customers are a little apprehensive if they don't feel like they have a definitive answer as to what the, the regulations and rules allow. So we view that, that this kind of clarity really helps our business. Yeah. I mean, so uh, 
the restriction on calls, I think at first blush, everyone sort of was taken aback because particularly in the debt collection industry, calls in are very much their bread and butter, right? Everyone knows yep. how to send a letter and everyone knows how to make a call because the at least the rules around those things have been set forth. You know, I could I could sidebar for, you know, another hour about, you know, how judges and circuit splits have have impacted those rule interpretations, but I won't bore anyone with that. But the call restriction, even though it's like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to maybe make as many calls as I want, to me, I think highlights the importance of why making sure the quality of those limited number of calls is as good as it can possibly be because you get far fewer bites at the apple. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I mean, the, the, the evidence we have so far with our existing customers is that there's a material uplift in, in uh, debt recovery by use of our technology. And that is because of the point you just made, which is that the quality of that and the, um, the accuracy of that and the timeliness of that and the convenience of that for not only the company, but for, for the consumer really matters. So limitations in terms of the number of outreaches you might be able to make really force companies to, to, uh, to think about how they can be the most efficient and most effective and technology is a great solution to that. Well, awesome. Jim, if people want to learn more about interactions or the intelligent virtual assistant, how can they do that? They can go to our website. It's pretty simple, www.interactions.com. And uh, if they're interested in specifically reaching out to me, uh, I'm on that website, but my email is jfreeze, J-F-R-E-E-Z-E at interactions.com. So reach out to me if you have any questions and we're happy to have a conversation. with 170 countries. I'm just reminding you of that. You just gave your email address out to a lot of people. Uh, I'll, and I'm going to let you know how many inbounds I'm getting. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love data. We love data. We, um, I, we both do. Yes. Well, Jim, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I hope our listeners learned a little something about intelligent virtual assistants and all of the cool things you guys are doing in Boston. You guys made some news recently about, about something else, right? I, I think I read something uh, in some national publication about how once COVID hit and you guys went remote, you guys have now made the decision to stay remote, right? You didn't sign a lease on some 18,000 square feet of uh, commercial space? No, it was more than that. It was uh, 52,000 square feet. We were just about to sign a 12-year lease for a brand new corporate facility that we were, we were going to build out. We were going to spend millions of dollars on doing the build out. And we were very close to signing the lease, literally within days of doing it. And we had been working from home for about a month. And, and it was not uncommon. We had you know, people, we were enabled with an infrastructure to work from home, but people were generally expected to be in the office. And lo and behold, we, we took a step back and said, you know, there's some real benefits to employees, the benefits to the company. And so we, we didn't execute the lease and we're going to uh, primarily a virtual office. And it's been working great and it's had no impact on this quality of service we can deliver to our customers. It's for me, I used to drive an hour to the office and then an hour home every night. And so I have two hours of productivity now that I, I didn't have before. So it's, it, it's hugely beneficial. Yeah. We, we actually uh, got coverage uh, in CNN, uh, front page store in the Boston globe, our uh, uh, CEO just published this week, a byline in fast company. So we're getting a lot of positive press as a result of it. 
Uh, well, congrats on that. It was so funny. I think it's where I read it in Fast Company. I was like, I know them. I'm going to be talking to Jim <laughs> real soon. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. congratulations. It's so amazing uh, how much all of our worlds have changed in the past few months. But good for you guys and uh, delighted to hear about all of the success that Interactions is having. Can't wait to see what you guys continue to do. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Jim, it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. 